0: Today's guest has been a coach for over 30 years and a business owner for 20. Over the years, she's worked with every type of business from Fortune 500 companies to small businesses. She walks her talk and hits six figures her first year in business and has added six figures every year since. In this episode, we dive into businesses who are ready to kick it up a notch, what they need to do, those who have already made their first six figures and are ready to expand, and those who may just feel stagnant after reaching a milestone. And even if you aren't there quite yet, I think you'll learn lots from Dana as she drops so many gems for us that can assist anyone on their business journey. So now without further ado, let's get into it. So welcome, Dana. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, you just have so much knowledge. You have a wealth of knowledge, and I'm excited to just pour it all into the Freedom Slayers that are listening to the podcast. And now I know your birthplace is France, and your first language was Japanese. Your first school experience was in Geneva. How would you say that all of these things shaped the entrepreneur that you are today? Oh,
1: in such big ways. I have to say, though, that as a kid, it was Awful. We moved so much and I hated that part. But as an adult and in my business, what I find is that because I've been required to make new friends every two to three years growing up, that creating deep bonds, creating real relationships with people, no matter who they are or where they come from, has been really easy. And that is the the biggest impact that it's had on being an entrepreneur the other thing that i see a lot is that i'm i have a um a travel bug like no other and if i'm in one place for too long i get it, itchy like and fever <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that i've started doing is i actually take people on these trips overseas mostly for me so that i can go mm mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so those are really the ways that it's, it's very much impacted my journey as a business owner over the years.
0: Awesome. And that's important because I mean, no matter what business you're in, you're dealing with people and they all come from different places with different, different cultural experiences. So it's great that you have that background as well. So you can even resonate with a lot of your clients, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, Totally.
0: Yeah. And I know you've been coaching for over 30 years and that's long before it was popular to even be in this space. And you've done what so many have considered or consider, I should say, as goals and that you made six figures in your very first year of business and you've added six figures every year since then. And that's impressive. What would you say contributed most to the immediate success of your business?
1: I love that you say immediate success because nothing is an overnight success, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, while I have been coaching for 30 years, I wasn't in the business of coaching until seven years ago. Previously, I've owned a variety of different businesses where I use coaching as a tool. And because I've been in business for so long, before I started my own business, there was so much that I already knew and so much failure that I've already had. And not that I haven't had failure since I started my business, but you know, it was an accumulation of 20 years of doing business that got me there. 15 years of of really focused sales practice. All all this stuff. So when people say, you know, I'm definitely not an entrepreneur that goes out around and says, oh yeah, I made six figures in my first year of business and everybody else should you know, I can do that for you too. That's just not where I stand. Mm -hmm. It it comes with a lot of education. It, it often takes some, you know, you have some learning to do for a lot of people. If they're just starting out and starting their business for the very first time, that's an expectation that is actually damaging more than anything else.
0: For sure. And I tell my clients that all the time as well. A lot of them want to come in and then immediately of course you can make money in your first year right that we know but you cannot expect to have what you want to see as your vision for 10 years today. You know, it's going to take time. It's going to require you to not just have lessons, but to learn from those lessons, take them in and repurpose them to help you become a better business owner. So I love that you broke down, yeah, in my first year of business, I made the six figures. However, it was so many years prior to that of learning that I applied to that business. And also highlighting the importance of failure is great. I remember Bill Smith, I believe it was, had a whole video on failure and how each failure, basically you fail upwards. Each failure is helping you get closer to that desired place. Like it's it's a stepping stone for the next. So it's an important lesson that people need to learn when they come into the game as an entrepreneur, that one failure is inevitable and it's the way you're looking at that failure, but also understand that it's going to take some time to get to that place where you want to be. If you're just getting into the game, and that's fine as well. It's the journey at the end of the day that makes you the best entrepreneur you could be, anyway. So I really do love that you highlighted that. And I yeah, know-
1: absolutely. And you know, I, I also just want to say, in the seven years that I have been in business, you know, for the first three and four, yes, I was m- doubling, you know, adding a hundred thousand or six figures close to every year. But everybody lives on a roller coaster. And two and a half years ago, my roller coaster headed way, way, way down. And I don't hide that from people because it's, well, first of all, it happened. And so hiding it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I took, I I did some very specific things to take steps to go back, have my roller coaster start going back up again. And here we are two years later and I'm back where I was, but it was hard. And, you know, there's no, I don't believe in blindfolding people or covering stuff like that up because Mm -hmm. it's really important to know that entrepreneurship is a roller coaster and sugarcoating any of it doesn't do anybody any justice.
0: For sure. And when you say your roller coaster went way, way down, what was the moment that it went down and what happened? What transpired for you to say that?
1: Well, it started slowly where people, I had a whole roster of clients and four of them all quit in the middle of their engagement in one month, which was like, whoa, I wasn't quite ready for that. Mm-hmm. And so I started taking steps, but nothing worked for a while. And, and people kept saying no, and that fed into my mindset about how people were going to say no. And it was this, just this terrible cycle. Until finally, I hit a month where I made less money than I had made in 25 years of business. Even when I first started out, I had never had a month so low. And I was like, oh my goodness, now what? And so I did some things that maybe other people wouldn't do. You know, I live on the West Coast. I live in Portland, Oregon, and we're a little woo out here. I... (laughs) I am a New Yorker, <laughs> but <laughs> so I went. I, the first thing I did was I actually went to go see a, an energy healer. I have used energy healers before, and to be perfectly honest, I don't care what the, what it is that they do as long as it produces results. I'm all in, and so I went to see her, and she did some weird things. But I started feeling better, and then I did something that I swore I would never do. I joined a BNI group. And I realized that I was addicted to the word. Yes. That I really needed. Yes. And one so I, second,
0: you said you joined a VNI. What's that?
1: VNI. It's a business. It's called business networking international. It's all oh. over the world. Mm-hmm. It's like a referral networking group.
0: Got you. I thought you said VNI as in Vine. Got you. Ah, got it. <laughs> I'm like, Cause you were talking about woo. And then I'm like, Oh, what's VNI? Like, is that voodoo? Like, what is she doing? <laughs> Okay. So yeah. Okay. So
1: I needed to hear the word yes. So I created an offer that was so small compared to what I usually offer, and just because I w- I want it to make it a no brainer for people. And within a week, four people had taken me up on it, and that was the first step. Up. Then somebody somebody took my regular offer, and I was like, Oh, okay. So we're this is working. And I just kept going until I had a full roster again. Um, So it was really a combination, both of of nuts and bolts business decisions, coupled with recognition that where my head was at was contributing to the problem and that I really needed to impact the thoughts in my head if I was going to impact my revenue.
0: Mm, I like that and what i love about what you said just now it was twofold one you had initially mentioned the four people dropping out. And that speaks to the fact that in entrepreneurship, there are going to be many things that are outside of your control that can affect your business, whether that be stock prices and the market, the, the, the economy. Like right now, I know coronaviruses, we were talking about this before we hopped on, you know, and there are things that can affect business outside of what it is that you're doing, people quitting, people, you know, traveling and all of those things. So you mentioned that, and you also mentioned your mindset. And I know that you do a lot of work, which I love, on people's mindsets before they even get into the nitty gritty of what they need to do to expand their business. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit in a bit, but I really do love that you brought that to light. A lot of times people like to push it to the side, like, oh, it's something small. It's just the mindset. Just give me the tools. It's like, you can have all the tools in the world, sweetheart, but if that mining, right, <laughs> then you're going to have some difficulty. So I love that you acknowledged that. And for you, that meant, you know, you wanted to go through to, you said you got energy healing is it like Reiki or? It's a combination of something called body talk, um, which I don't
1: understand at all. So don't even ask me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> um, and, and I don't know, like she, I walked into her room and she started talking to me and then talking to a, a, somebody she saw that I did not, that had to do with me, like a guide or I don't know. Um. I, this sounds really weird and really hokey. I get hey, that. It's part of
0: your story. Go for it. <laughs> go, go ahead.
1: <laughs> and, but it made complete, the things that she was saying made complete sense to me. I, I, I'm a type A personality. I've been driving my business. I've been driving business that I've owned for, since, since the very beginning from a make it happen kind of place and one of the things that she said is that while that had been really successful for me in the past, I was at a stage where I just couldn't drive it anymore, that there had to be a shift in the way that I was looking at creating business and going from driving to allowing, uh, mm-hmm. to going from pushing
0: to accepting. Surrendering and being in the flow. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's a
1: really hard lesson for a type A personality to learn. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. But it keeps getting proven over and over and over again in my business now, that every time I try to push and to drive, I hit a wall. But every time that I've just opened myself up to what's, what's happening and what's possible... And do, you know, so this is not to say that I'm not doing action because you have to do the action part. You have to do the things that need to get done. But it's a whole way of thinking about moving forward.
0: And that's the thing. So with business, Both energies work well. So you have to have that masculine energy that is the one that makes you take action, that helps you follow through with what it is that you said you're doing. But the feminine action is just as important. The feminine energy, I should say, which is the energy of allowing, the energy of knowing when to pause, when to reclaim space, when to do these things. And a lot of times people believe that it is all about action, action, action. And there are times and seasons when you need to take a whole lot of action. But there's also times you need to pull back and see what needs to adjust, shift, and change in your business too. And it's finding your finding your perfect combination of the two in order to move forward. So I do like that you were able to work with the buddy speaker or whisperer that helped you figure that out. That's awesome. And I know you've also had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500 companies and small businesses, and you've even worked with Zappos I saw on your site. What would you say are the similarities and the major differences between the two, between the really huge companies and between the small businesses
1: so in the really huge companies generally i'm working with executives who are in the c-suite but not the ceo or the top person right and the thing that i find about big companies which is one of the reasons why i tend to work less with them is that there are so many layers and so much bureaucracy that when i work with somebody and they see shifts in how things can be done the actual time and energy it takes to change the way a company does things is mind boggling.
0: And it becomes very
1: frustrating.
0: Uh huh, And I'm sure people even listening to this podcast that are currently at their nine to fives, it may not be a huge Fortune 500 company, but I'm sure they're listening and nodding in agreement because they know the politics involved and how HR then has to get approval from, you know, like maybe a head of another department who then has to speak to someone else before anything can happen. So, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, so... In the last couple of
1: years, I I tend to not go after those clients. I work mostly with the CEOs or partnerships of small companies. But even just in the last 12 months, I've worked with a hired CEO rather than a CEO who owns their company and in a healthcare clinic that's owned by 16 doctors and they hired her to be the CEO. And I've been hired by the owner of a $50 million company to work with one of his C-suite executives. And while they were great and and those two people saw real results in the way they worked, in their leadership skills, in their ability to see what was coming and be proactive instead of reactive, it was far it's far less satisfying for me than working with owner CEO and being able to really impact change quickly as soon as they see oh if we did it this way it would be so much more efficient or we would we would increase our revenue by so much if we just did this or I'll get my time back if we put in this procedure.
0: That's so much more satisfying. And I love that you are able to decide that because you are a full-time entrepreneur. You know, you don't have to depend on the Fortune 500s if your passion and your love is around working with the smaller businesses. And like you said, you get that immediate satisfaction because they are able to make a bigger impact right away because they have that not even just the ability to do it within their smaller company, but also because they have more passion because it's their company. You know, like you said, it's not just a random person on a board or something like that that's driving a it's driving force. Not just force. a
1: job, right?
0: Like, there we go, even better. Yeah, yeah. And I it's know not people. Not just a job. Exactly. It's like
1: when you when you're dealing with the owner of a company, it's everything. We'll be back after a quick break. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast
0: and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even an important lesson for a you know, people are looking to grow their businesses, is that ensuring that the people you're hiring want to do the work, you know, that they love it as much as you do. I don't think anyone would love it as much as you do, but as much as possible. And they feel like they have that ownership to it. And I know people come to you when they're ready to expand. Either they're getting massive demand and can't keep up with it, or they've reached a tipping point where proper systems are needed ASAP in order to keep them afloat. How would one self-assess, I guess, when they're getting to this point where they're like, okay, I can't continue doing what I'm doing at this rate that this business is growing?
1: Honestly, it, uh, the first indication is the number of hours people are working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so most of my clients, whether they have a team or they don't, are the ones who are trying to keep everything, all the balls in the air. If you, you're, uh, you know, close to my age, you saw People on Johnny Carson trying to try to balance like 50 plates on sticks without letting anything drop. And that's what my potential clients, that's how they feel, is that they're trying to keep everything going themselves. They find mostly they find that they're fire putter out outers. They're firemen. They're not being, they can't be strategic. They can't have a vision because they don't have enough time or space from everything that is being thrown at them to have that high level view. And so what ends up happening is they're working, you know, 80, 100 hours a week, which is, first of all, it's not healthy, which, you know, we all know that. But second of all, doesn't allow for any creativity, any innovation, any, even any putting in any processes or becoming any more efficient, right? doesn't allow for any of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's where most of my clients find themselves that, and another uh, symptom is they reach a rep, they've been growing and all of a sudden they reach a revenue plateau or the revenue starts to decrease and nothing that they have tried, have done before that actually worked to jumpstart it. None of that works anymore. And they're at a stage where they just don't know what to do next because they're, they're now at a place where kind of like they're at the end of their, their knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. So how does one, let's say someone's at that place where they have reached that plateau, like you said, they're at this plateau or they're seeing the decrease. And I know one of the things that a lot of people recommend is hiring, ensuring that you're hiring, obviously not just randomly, but the right people for the right jobs. And they're thinking, well, you know, maybe sales are going down or maybe they don't feel, and this is a mindset thing too, where they don't feel that they can even cover a coach as yourself or cover hiring because they're the way the business is currently spiraling. What do you say to those individuals?
1: Yeah. So that's a lot of my clients, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you would think that the first thing to do would be to go out and hire somebody. But the truth is, is that you want to be really strategic about hiring because it costs money to hire As, aside from the fact that you're paying somebody perhaps for a while before the job that they're doing is paying for itself. You know, you, it costs time and money to to find the right person. So the first thing that I tell people is, okay, so let's see what you're, what are you doing? What are the things that you're doing that only you can do in your business? And what are the things that you're doing that somebody else could do? Like, what what are these tasks? What needs to get done? Because And the thought behind that is really simple. We just need to create some, Space on your desk is is a metaphor for like space in your business for you to be strategic and think about this this stuff. So we have to get stuff off your plate, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: we want to make sure that we're getting the right stuff off your plate. So first, I have them do that, and then we look at the things that they're doing that somebody else could be doing, and batch it into job descriptions and figure out, you know, are we hiring the person? who is gonna be the cheapest? Like what job description is the cheapest? Or are we hiring the person that is gonna take the jobs that you hate the most off your plate? Maybe those aren't both the same person, right? We're not gonna hire everybody at the same time. Where are we gonna start? Mm -hmm. And then we go through a whole, okay, here's the best ways to hire. Here's how to think about who it is can do the job. You know, So often business owners are like, I need a mini me. So that is such, a misguided idea simply because you don't want somebody else like you in your business you want somebody who compliments you exactly who has skills that are different from yours exactly who the, the things that you're doing that somebody else should be doing better than you
0: are doing it mm-hmm. and the smartest business owners hire really smart people around them And I know there are some type A personalities who may be listening to this, like, well, no one can do what I can do. And just to give those of you who are listening an idea of what she's talking about when she's saying, what is it that only you can do? Like, for instance, with this podcast. It's my podcast. It's my voice. No one else has my voice. No one else can talk to you the way I'm going to talk to you. So, this is something that's for me, right? But there are things that I would do on a daily basis that maybe I don't have to. Maybe that's checking email. Maybe that's responding to someone on my website or whatever it is. There are things that are happening in your business that while you may feel like you're the best person to deal with it, it's not something you have to do. And it's not going to make a whole big piss of a difference if someone else is doing it for you. So, it's getting really clear on those things. So thank you for clarifying that, Dana. And what should someone who, let's say they've made their first six figures, what should they be doing or focusing on next to ensure the success of their business?
1: They want to make sure that they, they are taking steps to have a team. Like I always tell people, the first thing you want to outsource is your bookkeeping, but finding a really good bookkeeper is hard,
0: Mm -hmm. but that
1: takes stuff off your plate, but you want to keep your eye on really three parts of your business. One is sales and marketing. One is operations. And then the third is the financial part. You know, so many business owners, just like in our personal lives, oftentimes will put their head in the sand when it comes to numbers. Numbers scare us or like we're so afraid of seeing where we don't have it that we tend not to look at it. Or in the same vein, we have a bookkeeper or an accountant and they send us our P&L or a balance sheet every month and we look at it, but we don't really know what we're looking for. So getting some financial education and keeping your eye on the numbers and knowing your daily cash flow all those things are places that you really want to keep to to focus on as you grow, because you can see where there are leaks. You can see what you need to do. So that's one place in operations. You really want to look to see, okay, what are some tasks or some parts of your business that you do over and over again? So for instance, onboarding a new client or, what do you if you have a specific if your if your business does as it should a very specific thing for your clients or your customers rather than making it up or doing it differently each time, how can you take what you do for them and create a process of steps of what I call a workflow so that it's automated, not not automated in the case of you push a button and it just happens by itself, but automated like a standard operating procedure where every single piece of this this process gets done every time and that creates time efficiency. And then you can look to see, oh, well, what parts of these processes can someone else on my team do or who can I hire to do some of these so I'm not doing all of them? So that creates time efficiency. And then of course, sales, 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 sales. business development, pipeline development, being out in the community Doing the things that make the cash register ring is the number one priority. And the second priority is delivering top quality work because it's that that creates your reputation and your reputation in, in the end, all you have is all you've got that drives referrals. It will drive people coming to you when they're checking you out online for credibility, but it can't come before delivery can't come before focusing on on your pipeline and sales. Does that make sense?
0: For sure. And I'm nodding my head the whole time. I had the mic on silent, but I'm nodding my head the whole time. You're talking like, yes, yes, yes. That's actually things we cover in my Cubicle Digi Academy. We get into ensuring that, you know, the pipeline solid and how to ensure that you're making it easy for yourself to follow up and ensure that there is a constant flow of sales coming to you and your business. But we also talk about, Knowing your numbers, that is so important. Now, where would you suggest someone even go? Because I heard you mention, you know, get a handle on it. Like, do you say go back to school or is there a specific resource that you send clients to that aren't trying to get an accreditation in knowing their numbers, but they want to know the basics? Is it a book you recommend? Like, what is it that, where do you send them?
1: Well, I'm a huge reader. And mm-hmm. I believe that there's there's so many people out there who specialize in very specific things and then write about them. And talk about them in ways that I certainly, like, I send people to experts. So, you know, read Profit First.
0: Oh, I love that book.
1: That's yeah. a place to it start. a good one. That's a good one. Then book. there's this, oh, there's another book. And now you've caught me out because I can't remember the name. But I will, I would. Ha- I have to go look it up. But where I send people after they read Profit First. But Profit First is definitely a place to start to get an idea of how to manage your money.
0: Mm-hmm. How to
1: manage your business money. How to think about being profitable from the very beginning and then you know in order to get an understanding of your your p like make an appointment with your accountant and have them actually walk you through what it means how to make decisions from it like what to be looking for get somebody to sit down so with you for,
0: for a couple of hours that's a great point and not like the accountant, you are hiring someone to do something for you. And it's important that you're able to read what it is they provide you with. Right. So even if you decide that you two aren't the best fit and you work with another accountant, there should have been something you learned from that individual that helps you become an even better business owner going forward. But even beyond accountancy, I say to clients as well, if you have someone doing your website, you're paying them to do your website, get them put together a five minute video that you can look at to help you to learn how to edit something really quick, how to move. You should never feel dependent on someone else to figure something out if you need it as an emergency in your business. So I love the idea of speaking to the accountant and getting really clear on those things and making that a process throughout your entire business, where you're speaking to the people that have handles on other parts of your business as well. And ensuring that you are clear, you don't have to be an expert on it, but you should be able to know your way around whatever it is that they're working on and figure out how it works with your business. So that was awesome. that's
1: great you know in in that vein i often tell my clients you know you want to delegate not abdicate so abdication is what um, the word abdication means giving up the throne and it really means giving up responsibility so when we abdicate what we're doing is we're abdicate we're giving up responsibility for whatever piece of our business or our processes that we're having somebody else do kind of like out of sight, out of mind, which is deadly, deadly. Exactly. You want to delegate, which means you give them the work, but you're still clear that you're responsible. So you want to know what they're doing. You want to check quality control. It doesn't mean that you then take your eyes off of it. It's still part of your business and you need to know what's happening. So that's so good what you just said.
0: And it also helps you to figure out if something's going on, right? And not even just within your business, but with what they're doing. If something's fishy, <laughs> they've told you that putting up a new blog post takes three hours and they've charged you for three hours, but they gave you a video and showed you how to do it in five minutes. And you were able to do it in five minutes. Then you know, something's gone wrong. And I find a big issue with many business owners and not even business owners, but those in the entertainment industry, rappers, you know, even sports people in sports, athletes, I'm saying people in sports, even athletes, a lot of times they realize many years later that their accountant had been a little shysty because they weren't paying attention. And it takes someone else looking in to figure that out. So it really does help you if from the beginning or as close to the beginning as you can. So wherever you are right now, that's as close you can get if you haven't started already, is getting really into what it is that they're doing and ensuring that you have an understanding of it. So I love that you mentioned the difference between those things, the advocates and, you know, because it really does showcase who you are as a business owner. You don't want to completely throw everything to someone else and not pay attention to it because then you're just asking for trouble. So mm-hmm. I love that. I have some real horror stories. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Any that you could share?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I had a client uh, a couple years ago who had a, hired somebody to sit at the front desk, She's an alternative healer with a a clinic, and hired somebody to sit at the front desk who was also responsible for billing. And she figured somebody was doing it and whatever. It turns out two years later that the woman had been embezzling, hadn't paid the, the employment taxes, And really, literally, almost brought the business down. This is a a warning in two different ways. One is, you know, don't take your eyes off the ball just because you have somebody doing the work. And second, when you hire somebody, you need to Google them. Like, do your research, Mm -hmm. get references, ask five minutes on the wise beyond her years. Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) five minutes on the computer would have brought up all sorts of things that would all sorts of red flags about this person that if she had spent five minutes doing it, would have saved her
0: over $100,000. And this reminds me, that part of the story reminds me of something with my dad, and he's not an entrepreneur. He was working for someone else who was an entrepreneur, so it was a smaller business. And each paycheck, they were taking out money for insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And when he was sick, he realized that although thousands and thousands and thousands were taken out for insurance, the person was never paying that insurance. So, even as I know a lot of you listening are side hustlers and you're working full time and you're doing something on the side, ensure there's nothing so shysty happening with your day job either, because that's what helps make you a better business owner. Like Dana said, she was working for someone else in the business, you know, doing coaching and stuff before, before she had her own business. And through that, she learned. So call up the insurance agency, call up the pension places. Like I tell my clients all the time as well, before you leave your job, or even soon as you think about Eventually, wanting to leave, you need to figure out your numbers. How much will you be paying in insurance? Call the insurance agency. And while you're calling them, make sure that your name's already there for whatever you're currently insured under. Like getting really clear on where you stand and how things work before you even get to that place makes it so much easier for you. So, yeah, love story time. So that's awesome. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, so many entrepreneurs think that having a day job or a job of any sort is some sort of failure when it comes to being an. and a business owner. And I often say to people, you know, never quit your day job until you're making some money with your, with your business enough, enough money with your business to cover your expenses. Oh yeah. I did a
0: whole podcast on that.
1: Right. Right. Not a failure to be running your business and realize that you need to go get a job so that you're not desperate for money because desperation smells.
0: It It does. And people feel it. Oh my goodness, that's exactly what I love talking about. And people can tell when you're desperate for money. And you know, the energy, the vibes are just different. And even beyond that, working on a side hustle. So if you work full time and you're doing your business on the side, it also helps you to be more efficient because you're realizing what are the pertinent things that you need to be doing that actually move the needle in your business. So it helps you to be a stronger business owner as well. And I know we've been talking, I heard you mention a bunch of times about systems. For those who aren't sure, can you describe what is a system and which ones are needed in order to create a sustainable, stable business. Yeah. So I don't know what other people call systems. I just know what I call systems.
1: So systems are ways of doing things. So you do something the same way every single time, and they they make doing whatever you have the system for more efficient. So, it frees up time, it frees up money. So, when you ask what kinds of systems, so one of the basic systems that I have people use, uh, do in their businesses is a workflow from the moment that a client says or customer says yes, all the way till whenever they stop being a customer, but past the thank you note phase and on to then a touch system that goes out into perpetuity. So that workflow is a, is a really long timeline that gets broken up in very specific parts. So the time from introduction to perhaps when a, a client says yes, or the time from when a client says yes to you doing onboarding of a client. And then the time from when a project starts to when the project is over. And then what happens when a project is over? To when they're, you know, do they take, go on to a retainer? Do they become a referral partner? You know, it depends on your business. There's so many different things. So that's a, a, a life of client system. Other systems are simple as your filing system, as simple as your time management planning mm-hmm. that you do on a, on a regular basis. I have my clients either do it Fridays before they turn off their computers or Sunday night for 20 minutes. And they look at the two weeks coming up, the one right in front of them and the one, the one after that. And they're looking for very specific things in their schedule, both to, to make sure that they know what's happening and to plan working on projects that are outside the scope of daily work inside their business. So there's so many different kinds of systems. There's all sorts of technological systems, email, Managers like MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or ConvertKit, you know what, those are systems too. I mean, there are systems for everything.
0: Yes, and just for those who are listening, so you understand, this works for any business. So even if you have a small little retail store that's literally two by two and you're selling hats in it, there's still a system. When someone comes into the door to the time they come to the register, purchase and leave, what is the process in getting them there? What's getting them stay there? What's getting them returned? Maybe someone's giving them a coupon code or loyalty program points or something at the end. Maybe it's collecting their email address. There's a system for everything. And what it does is create efficiency and consistency because when you're hiring people if you can show them the system then it's all the same and i know having worked at a nine to five there's nothing more frustrating than asking four people doing the same job how to do something and they all give you a different response right and that's when you know that there's something that's not right in that so you need to have systems and an easy way that i do this Well, I make it really clear for people because a lot of people try to overcomplicate the tools that are needed. You can literally use like a Trello board or if you have Asana, then that's fine as well, where you just have your different cards up the top. So one could be emails. So if you say, okay, on Tuesdays at this time, I check emails, emails that ask this question, put it in this folder. Emails that are about this, I respond to it this way. Like you can put all of these systems in there. So if someone is coming on board and taking over your emails, they can have access to that file, that folder, and easily see what processes happen. So the people that are sending you messages don't even feel the shift because it's the same thing you've been doing. So it creates that consistency and continues to build that trust with your clients. So I love that. And one thing I really love about you, Dana, is that you are known to bend the rules and I love a rule breaker in business. So what does this often look like with your clients? It's
1: really funny. I've been thinking about about that a little bit right at this time, because as we said, we were talking about coronavirus. So one of the rules that I consistently have my clients break is sending email newsletters. <laughs>
0: Talk on it. I stopped. I was doing it for two and a half years straight every Sunday at at 1 p.m., I stopped a year and a half ago because I realized I was getting email overwhelm. And I'm like, listen, if I don't like getting all these emails in my inbox, why the heck am I sending them to other people? No, 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 no. Let's reel back and let me. And it's not like your standard news letter; it's just stuff. So yeah, no, I completely get it. You got to be smart about it. They could be the best in the business telling you send them every week, but if it doesn't feel good and if you know your client, then you would know not everything works for everybody. So yeah, you can break all the rules. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it was really. <laughs>
1: is we go from emailing newsletters, which very few people read, right? For the reasons you just said. And we started having my clients use regular old snail mail. You know, you, you send th- rather than sending things every week, you send things maybe once a month or once every two months, but they're come in a, be- in a colored envelope that is correlated with the brand of your business. And, and it's personalized, it's personally addressed. And I will tell you that they get opened and people actually reach out. They love getting mail. It it ups my client's referral rates like nobody's business. And every single time they send
0: something out, they get at least one client out of it. Love it. Love, love, love it. And that goes to tell you that you don't have to listen to people when they tell you what works and what doesn't, right? Because at one point it was the snail mail that was getting ridiculously full with junk mail, but now the tides have changed where your inbox has become that place with all the junk mail. So it's asking yourself what works best for your client. So if you have an email list, like for me, I have an email list, um, email lists, I should say, of have multiple of thousands and thousands of people. Of course, I'm not going to stop and send letters individually. However, if you have a VIP client or you have a, a particular product that you know specific people are interested in, then that's a way you can step outside the box and think about or start to think about what it is that you can do differently that others aren't. Don't be afraid to break the rules. Love it. So now let's talk about your life, that life that you've been able to create. You travel internationally for, I believe it's eight weeks out of the year. And I'm sure you domestic travel around the U.S. That would add even more because I met with you just, oh man, it's been like three weeks now, hasn't it, Dana, since we yeah. saw. Jeez. So yeah, so I know you travel all around the U.S. as well. We're actually in the same mastermind. That's how I know Dana. How have you been able to create this time freedom for yourself while also running a service-based business that you're the face of? I'm going to start this
1: with saying it take, took some time, right? I mean, I, when I was 27, I promised that I would never work for anybody else ever again, and I haven't. But those first five to to seven years, I ended up getting married and having children and moving across the country. And then it's taken all this time to get to a point where, you know, I get to have the life that I want. And so I work with my clients three days a week. That's it. Monday through Wednesdays from eight, nine in the morning till about one or two in the afternoon on the phone. And then Thursdays and Fridays are always my time. So either they are working in the office, they're having coffee, networking, happy hour, or traveling, which is something that I really, really love to do. We have, my husband and I have a sprinter van, camper. Yes, we are West Coasters. We're a little woo, a little hippie. Um, So we travel, you know, six to eight weeks in the summer because my husband works on the school schedule. He's not a teacher, but he is, his work is associated with school. So in the summer, he has a lot more freedom. So we do that. And oftentimes in Canada, because we love Canada, we'll go to Mexico. We, you know, wherever we can go is always on our list. And then I travel, I speak and I travel to conferences. It's often where I meet clients. It's often where I meet connections that end up being collaborators. Um, And as I said, if I don't travel, I get really itchy, which is kind of weird right now because I just canceled three trips. And I have a trip scheduled in in October to take some of my clients to Portugal. And we were actually discussing canceling that this morning. So it's just the times that we live in. I'm not sure what we're going to do this summer to appease my travel bug. But you know, I believe that a business should support you in having the life that you want rather than being a slave to your business or being run over like a train, like a with, by a freight train. And so everything that I do with my business owners, and I want to be clear here that not everybody that I work with is committed to traveling. That might not be their thing. That's my thing.
0: Oh goodness. I can't imagine anybody that that's not their thing. I don't know if we could be friends. Right?
1: That's well, there are people thing. Who, want, who want the time to be able to spend with their kids, right? Or their, their partner, their or maybe they have a, a climbing mountain fetish. I don't know.
0: Mountains Once, require travel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so we make sure my. What I feel like my job is to make sure that they get to have the life that they want, that they started their business for in the first place.
0: Oh, I and like part that.
1: of that is is being able to manage your hours and your schedule and your time so that you do feel like you have a full life and you're not waiting for retirement. Where honestly, all, so often people retire and then get sick or yeah. find that they aren't capable. Their bodies are just not capable of doing some things that they want to do. They,
0: they put, put it all up their life. Waiting. And then at retirement, they are not in their best of health and things like that. So they've let the best years go by trying to wait for retirement. So yeah, I love that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Live your life. Live your life. <laughs> For sure. And have you even noticed the difference? Because I know you work with those who are, you know, they've made their first six figures and that, and then I know you've worked with seven and eight and nine and 10 figure business owners as well. You know, have you noticed the difference between, let's say someone who is struggling to keep up at the six figure mark and someone who has a healthy eight figure business, a small business? Like what's the difference in mindset between the two? That's
1: so interesting. So people who have, who are established in are our- have passed the six figure mark, but just a little bit. What they realize is that six figures, first of all, is never enough. Like it's just the helps get your business running. Um, but it is the first real milestone and what they, their mind, what's missing for them is this fundamental knowledge that working more doesn't mean making more money. And actually it is the opposite of that.
0: Oh, for sure. When I started working, yeah, I agree. When I started working less, I started making more. It's just about working smarter for sure.
1: Exactly. So less hours frees up your brain in ways that it can't be freed up. If you're working, 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 working all the time, there's no creativity that your brain can have, can have because it's so consumed with just the routine of the day. So the less you work in that case, you find that your income goes up. What's really interesting about seven and eight figure business owners is that they've already figured that out, but where they're at is, so what, well, what do I do with my time? I don't know what to do with my time. I've been totally consumed with working for so long and now my business, for many of them, their businesses are running by themselves. (laughs) They don't need them anymore, right? So they're not, they're not essential to business growth. And so the question for them always is, well, should I continue to put energy in expanding my business? Like, what do I do next? And it's a completely different conversation.
0: I love that. So it's the mindset thing and then dealing with the change and the shift in the way their business is now running that becomes the new challenge. Well, I can promise all of you that are listening to this podcast, when I make my eight figures, I will not be worried about the time I'm not working on the business. I can promise you that would not be a worry of mine. I remember when we were at our mastermind and I was talking to you about like world domination. Cause I forget what the question was. This was like during one of the icebreaker times. And we were talking, I think one of the questions was where do you want to be or what's your biggest vision for like the next 10 years or something. And you were really satisfied with what you're currently doing and you love it and you're successful at it. This is it for you. So what do you love most about what it is that you do?
1: Oh, wow that's such a good question um so i work only one-on-one with my clients and i at the most i i only have 10 clients at any one time i just turned 60 so to give you a little bit of of background and you know at one time as i said i was really type a hungry and wanted to make a million dollars and now i'm really clear that i don't need to make a million dollars to be happy and the question that i often posed to my clients that I posed to myself, I don't know, about 10 years ago was, what is enough? And enough for me, it, it allows me to happily pay my bills and do the things that I want to do in life and save money for retirement because eventually I will. I never thought I would want to, but you know, that's changing. And so the thing that I love best about what I do, there's two things I love. One is I do all my coaching on the phone and I love, love it. When I can feel I can actually feel the synapses going on in my clients when they're like "Oh my god and they see how how this one little thing this one little shift or this one little reframe of the way they've been thinking about a challenge gives them like a whole nother set of possibilities and then they go off and do that that oh my god I love that when that happens I always get off the phone thinking I got Way more out of our call than they did. I'm so pumped. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I do with my clients is they come. All my clients come to Portland for two days, and in a small little group setting with three to four of my other clients, and we work together, kind of like a hot seat. But we do some other things as well. And it it's in that intimate connection, face to face connection. There's just something so satisfying about creating those relationships. And as, as proof of that, you know, I have clients that have worked with me for four to five years, just re- every single week over and over and over again. And that that many, I would probably say most of my clients end up becoming lifelong friends, whether they work with me or not past our engagement, because that is relationship and connection is what's really, really important to me really feeds my soul. And so that's how I work with my clients. And I love that. I mean, I have friends, real friends who live all over the world just from talking to them once a
0: week. I love that. And what that says, though, is that you pick amazing clients, right? You know who are the right fits for your business because not everyone is for you, right? And if you were taking just any and everyone as a client, well, for you, you don't even have that option because you're taking on the 15 at a time. But if you were, you may not even get that same satisfaction. It's because you're really great at sussing out who are great fits for you, too. And I think that's something you do awesomely. And I know you said, you know, you realized you don't need millions of dollars and some people don't, right? And that's not what they need to succeed. But I do know, like you said, you made the six figures in the first year and then you were making, you know, six six figures every year since. So for someone, like someone listening may say, okay, well, I'm hearing you say that. So yeah, maybe over the course of 10 years, you've made a million. So you can't think about how it is for us. But at one point you were at the very beginning of your business and you know very well how it feels to be at that place where you're like, okay, no, I needed to grow a bit more. But I love that you are super satisfied with where you are right now. You know, that's what you want. And you're like, I'm not even worrying about the other stuff. Listen, I'm 60 years old. This is what I'm shooting for. This is what I want to do in retirement. And the rest of it doesn't matter. I really love what I do. And I really respect that because you're like, I don't care what society puts out there as goals, right? This is my goal and I love it. So one final question I have for you, which is something I always ask podcast guests. And that is, what does freedom mean to you?
1: Simple. Freedom is my highest value, uh, highest core value. And for me, it means doing what I want, with whom I want, when I want, where I want. Simply. Um, Beautiful, <laughs> you know, it's that simple. As as and I, there's not. I, I don't want to um, pretend that I've gotten to where I can do anything I want whenever I want, wherever I want, with whomever I, I want. It there's always like it's a it's a movement towards. It's not a, okay. I'm I get to do that always. Do
0: you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and. I mean, someone who, I guess that would be like someone saying, I'm going to call Oprah up today and we're going on a picnic. You probably won't be able to do that. But if you say, you know what, next week, I want to go on a picnic in North Dakota, then you can figure out a way to make that happen for you because you've arranged your business in such a way in order to create that freedom. Exactly. Love it. Thank you so much, Dana, for all of the knowledge you dropped on the podcast today. I really enjoyed having you as a guest.
1: I am. This was really fun. Thank you so much for inviting me, Gennette.
0: Okay. Okay. I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you.